Section 50 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Watson. The World Story, Volume 8. Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Eva March Tappen. Section 50. The Speaking of Prince Uffe the Speechless by Saxo Grammaticus. The long and leisurely tranquillity of a most prosperous and quiet time flowed by, and Wormund, in undisturbed security, maintained a prolonged and steady peace at home. He had no children during the prime of his life, but in his old age, by a belated gift of fortune, he begat a son, Uffe though all the years which had glided by had raised him up no offspring. This Uffe surpassed all of his age and stature, but in his early youth was supposed to have so dull and foolish a spirit as to be useless for all affairs, public or private. For from his first years he never used to play or make merry, but was so void of all human pleasure that he kept his lips sealed in a perennial silence and utterly restrained his austere visage, from the business of laughter but though through the years of his youth he was reputed for an utter fool he afterwards left that despised estate and became famous turning out as great a pattern of wisdom and hardihood as he had been a picture of stagnation his father seeing him such a simpleton got him for a wife the daughter of frauen the governor of the men of Sleswick thinking that by his alliance with so famous a man Uffe would receive help, which would serve him well in administrating the realm. Frauen had two sons, Ket and Wig, who were youths of most brilliant parts, and their excellence, not less than that of Frauen, Wormund designed to be the future advantage of his son. When Wormund was losing his sight by infirmity of age, the king of Saxony, thinking that Denmark lacked a leader, sent envoys ordering him to surrender to his charge the kingdom which he held beyond the due term of life lest if he thirsted to hold sway too long he should strip his country of laws and defence for how could he be reckoned a king whose spirit was darkened with age and his eyes with blindness not less black and awful if he refused but yet had a son who would dare to accept a challenge and fight with his son let him agree that the victor should possess the realm but if he approved neither offer let him learn that he must be dealt with by weapons and not by warnings and in the end he must unwillingly surrender what he was too proud at first to yield uncompelled wormund shaken by deep sighs answered that it was too insolent to sting him with these taunts upon his years for he had passed no timorous youth nor shrunk from battle that aid should bring him to this extreme misery it was equally unfitting to cast in his teeth the infirmity of his blindness for it was common for a loss of this kind to accompany such a time of life as his and it seemed a calamity fitter for sympathy than for taunts it were juster to fix the blame on the impatience of the king of saxony whom it would have beseemed to wait for the old man's death and not demand his throne for it was somewhat better to succeed to the dead than to rob the living yet that he might not be thought to make over the honours of his ancient freedom like a madman to the possession of another 
he would accept the challenge with his own hand. The envoys answered that they knew that their king would shrink from the mockery of fighting a blind man, for such an absurd mode of combat was thought more shameful than honorable. It would surely be better to settle the affairs by means of their offspring on either side. The Danes were in consternation and at a sudden loss for a reply, but Ufe, who chanced to be there with the rest, craved his father's leave to answer, and suddenly the dumb, as it were, spake. When Wormund asked who had thus begged leave to speak, and the attendant said that it was Ufe, he declared that it was enough that the insolent foreigner should jeer at the pangs of his misery without those of his own household vexing him with the same wanton effrontery but the courtiers persistently averred that this man was ufe and the king said he is free whoever he be to say out what he thinks then said ufe that it was idle for their king to covet a realm which could rely not only on the service of its own ruler but also on the arms and wisdom of most valiant nobles moreover the king did not lack a son nor the kingdom an heir and they were to know that he had made up his mind to fight not only the son of their king but also at the same time whatsoever man the prince should elect as his comrade out of the bravest of their nation the envoys laughed when they heard this thinking it idle lip courage instantly the ground for the battle was agreed on and a fixed time appointed but the bystanders were so amazed by the strangeness of Ufe's speaking and challenging that one can scarce say if they were more astonished at his words or at his assurance. But on the departure of the envoys, Wormen praised him who had made the answer, because he had proved his confidence in his own valor by challenging not one only but two, and said that he would sooner quit his kingdom for him whoever he was, than for an insolent foe. But when one and all testified that he who with lofty self-confidence had spurned the arrogance of the envoys was his own son, he bade him come nearer to him, wishing to test with his hands what he could not with his eyes. Then he carefully felt his body, and found by the size of his limbs and by his features that he was his son, and then began to believe their assertions and to ask him why he had taken pains to hide so sweet an eloquence with such careful dissembling and had borne to live through so long a span of life without utterance or any intercourse of talk so as to let men think him utterly incapable of speech and a born mute he replied that he had been hitherto satisfied with the protection of his father that he had not needed the use of his voice until he saw the wisdom of his own land hard pressed by the glibness of a foreigner the king also asked him why he had chosen to challenge two rather than one he said that he desired this mode of combat in order that the death of king athesil which having been caused by two men was a standing reproach to the danes might be balanced by the exploit of one and that a new ensample of valor might erase the ancient record of their disgrace fresh honor he said would thus obliterate the guilt of their old dishonor wormen said that his son had judged all things rightly and bade him first learn the use of arms since he had been little accustomed to them 
When they were offered to Ufe, he split the narrow links of the male coats by the mighty girth of his chest, nor could any be found large enough to hold him properly, for he was too hugely built to be able to use the arms of any other man. At last, when he was bursting even his father's coat of mail by the violent compression of his body, Wormond ordered it to be cut away on the left side and patched with a buckle, thinking it mattered little if the side guarded by the shield were exposed to the sword. He also told him to be most careful in fixing on a sword which he could use safely. Several were offered him, but Ufe, grasping the hilt, shattered them one after the other into flinders by shaking them, and not a single blade was so hard a temper but, at the first blow, he broke it into many pieces. But the king had a sword of extraordinary sharpness called Screp, which, at a single blow of the smiter, struck straight through and cleft asunder any obstacle whatsoever, nor would aught be hard enough to check its edge when driven home. The king loathed to leave this for the benefit of posterity, and greatly grudging others the use of it, had buried it deep in the earth, meaning, since he had no hopes of his son's improvement, to debar every one else from using it. But when he was now asked whether he had a sword worthy of the strength of Ufe, he said that he had one which, if he could recognize the lay of the ground and find what he had consigned long ago to earth, he could offer him as worthy of his bodily strength. Then he bade them lead him into a field, and kept questioning his companions over all the ground. At last he recognized the tokens, found the spot where he had buried the sword, drew it out of its hole, and handed it to his son. Ufe saw it was frail with great age and rusted away, and, not daring to strike with it, asked if he might prove this one also like the rest, declaring that he must try its temper before the battle ought to be fought. Wormen replied that if this sword were shattered by mere brandishing, there was nothing left which could serve for such strength as his. He must therefore forbear from the act, whose issue remained so doubtful. So they repaired to the field of battle as agreed. It is fast encompassed by the waters of the river Eider, which roll between and forbid any approach save by ship. Hither Uffe went unattended, while the prince of Saxony was followed by a champion famous for his strength. Dense crowds on either side, eager to see, thronged each winding bank, and all bent their eyes upon this scene. Wormen planted himself on the end of the bridge, determined to perish in the waters if defeat were the lot of his son. He would rather share the fall of his own flesh and blood than behold with heart full of anguish the destruction of his own country. Both the warriors assaulted Ufe, but, distrusting his sword, he parried the blows of both with his shield, being determined to wait patiently and see which of the two he must beware of most heedfully, so that he might reach that one at all events with a single stroke of his blade. Wormond, thinking that his feebleness was at fault, that he took the blows so patiently, dragged himself little by little, in his longing for death, forward to the western edge of the bridge, meaning to fling himself down and perish, should all be over with his son. 
Fortune shielded the old father who loved so passionately, for Ufe told the prince to engage with him more briskly and to do some deed of prowess worthy of his famous race, lest the low-born squire should seem braver than the prince. Then, in order to try the bravery of the champion, he bade him not skulk timorously at his master's heels, but requite by noble deeds of combat the trust placed in him by his prince, who had chosen him to be his single partner in the battle. The other complied, and when shame drove him to fight at close quarters, Ufe clove him through with the first stroke of his blade. The sound revived Wormen, who said that he heard the sword of his son, and asked on what particular part he had dealt the blow. Then the retainers answered that he had gone through no one limb but the man's whole frame, whereat he drew back from the precipice and came again on the bridge, longing now as passionately to live as he had just wished to die. Then Ufe, wishing to destroy his remaining foe after the fashion of the first, incited the prince with vehement words to offer some sacrifice by way of requital to the shade of the servant slain in his cause. Drawing him by these appeals and warily noting the right spot to plant his blow, he turned the other edge of his sword to the front, fearing that the thin side of his blade was too frail for his strength, and smote with a piercing stroke through the prince's body. When Wormen heard it, he said that the sound of his sword, Screp, had reached his ear for the second time. Then, when the judges announced that his son had killed both enemies, he burst into tears from excess of joy. Thus gladness bedewed the cheeks, which sorrow could not moisten. So while the Saxons, sad and shamefaced, bore their champions to burial with bitter shame, the Danes welcomed Ufe and bounded for joy. Then no more was heard the disgrace of the murder of Athasil, and there was an end of the taunts of the Saxons. Thus the realm of Saxony was transferred to the Danes, and Ufe, after his father, undertook its government, and he who had not been thought equal to administering a single kingdom properly was now appointed to manage both. Most men have called him Olaf, and he has won the name of the Gentle for his forbearing spirit. His later deeds, lost in antiquity, have lacked formal record, but it may well be supposed that when their beginnings were so notable, their sequel was glorious. End of section 50 this recording is in the public domain.